What's next for IT? In today's economy, technology touches every aspect of the day-to-day operations of business. There has never been more pressure on IT to deliver for our organizations. So what can we expect over the next decade? We need to think differently about how we approach our work to continue to thrive into the future. This requires all of us to be intentional in how we look at our role going forward. Smart IT is an approach to getting the important things done by transforming the way we think, work, and lead. And now, let's disrupt the status quo, simplify the complex, and reduce risk the Smart IT way. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Smart IT Podcast. I'm your host, William Reed. And today, I have Harsha on the show. Uh, Love to have CIOs on the show. They're at the forefront of the business and technical intersection, um, leading IT teams to make technology work for their businesses. So I'm pretty excited about talking to Harsha today. Uh, Welcome to the show. Thanks, William. Glad to be here. Uh, Looking forward to the conversation. So Harsha, we met uh, over at Sim Austin, right? So the Society of Information Management. Uh, so we got an Austin chapter here. Uh, so I met you, and at one of our events, I was just chatting with you, and then we we're talking about some of the uh, opportunities and challenges and kind of day to day of a life of a CIO uh, at your organization. So I said, you know what? I got to uh, reach out to, uh, out to you and get you onto the show as a host. As a, as a guest. So I'm pretty excited about chatting with you today. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me again. So, uh, so I guess we should start a little bit early on. So how did you uh, get into this role as a CIO? I know everybody have their own kind of origin story of their journey through IT and kind of getting into this uh, seat. So we can, we can start there. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, um, I can tell you straight out of the bat that, you know, uh, it is not a role that uh, I plan to be in or I work, uh, you know, had a structure in how I was going to path into this role. It just happened through a multitude of situations and, you know, being at the right place at the right time. Uh, and then, of course, um, be, being open to opportunities and uh, taking on the challenges as they came about. So, you know, I had... Uh, I first became a CIO when I was actually 32 years old, so rather young, and it was just a, a pretty opportunistic uh, situation where the company that I was in uh, prior to the current my current role, uh, they went through uh, Chapter 11. The company got split into two different departments or two different uh, operations, and uh, CIO at that point in time moved to the the manufacturing side of the business and the retail side of the business. They needed a CIO and I was the director of uh, project management. So in that role, I literally had um, uh, oversight for all of the key initiatives that we were executing in that company. And when this opportunity came about, I, you know, I took on the challenge and, uh, uh, it was uh, a pretty fascinating and exciting and, and definitely a nervous uh, time when you first get into yeah. the role. Uh, but yeah, since then you, you, you learn and you, uh, you know, work your way, make sure you got the right team and the right support structure and the right mentors. And um, here we are now, uh, 
you know, 18, 19 years later, uh, being the CIO, uh, looks like I'm still learning every day and, and continuing to uh, be a better person and a better CIO. <clears throat> Well, I love what you said right there about that kind of learning. Because it's, it's like lifeline learning, right? So it's not a day to go by. You're not picking up some new type of skill, learning some new insights on how people work, how to get people to collaborate, uh, understanding problems and working solutions. So one of the things we like to talk about in the Smart IT podcast is this uh, uh, concepts of teamwork and learning, uh, kind of learning th- how things work. So let's talk about, I guess, let's start there with, with teaming here. Uh, you've been been in the field for a while. When you look at your team, you know, how do you approach, okay, getting everybody to work on the same page, respecting everybody's opinions, uh, getting everybody on the same page to kind of maximize what you guys can provide uh, to the business? Yeah, absolutely. No, I mean, you know, uh, I always tell my team, uh, my success is dependent on their success. So it is in my best interest to uh, really uh, help and manage my team and support them to be successful because as I believe that if, if they succeed, I succeed. So to that effect, you know, first and foremost is that um, when I hire people, you know, we're bringing, uh, I'm going to talk about kind of bringing in experienced folks or uh, people in the leadership roles first, and then I can speak to maybe the the philosophy that we are take when we are bringing the uh, the staff and the team members uh, within our, within the organization. <clears throat> so as far as leadership roles go, you know, first and foremost for me uh, is really the the fit is is can I see myself working with the person? Because as we go through the interviews and selection process, you know, we have established that the individuals that are applying have the basic skills and experience that we're looking for. So that's kind of out of the way. And and really what is important for success is understanding um, how they fit into our uh, organizational culture, how how their work styles align to uh, perhaps my own work style. And it doesn't have to align, but it has to be complementary, right? So their strengths has to be my weaknesses and my strengths have to be their weaknesses so we can support each other and move along. Um, And, uh, and, you know, we work on the understanding that I'm bringing somebody because I believe they are the expert and they're the right person to do the job at hand. And so in many ways, I look at them as my advisors and so I want to listen to what they have to say in their respective areas and their respective domains and help me kind of strategize how that would uh, scale up at the enterprise organizational level. So in other words, you know, you bring the right people, make sure they're the right fit and get away, right? Really let right. them do what they are supposed to do and how they need to do it. Uh, we are um, uh, aligned on what the end state is, what the goals and and uh, objectives that we're trying to accomplish. So you give them that vision, give them that goal, and then let them take it to the finish line. I love that. It's almost like you are um, kind of orchestra, uh, orchestrator, you can conduct same piece of music, but you have different people, different instruments. They already know technically what their, what their skill set is for that instrument. Uh, get that buy-in that we're gonna have some beautiful music out. Uh, 
when we start to work together. That's the hope. I mean, in every every once in a while, you get a mistune, and that's just you know we're all humans. We're gonna yeah. <laughs> make that yeah. uh, wrong hire, or or something doesn't work out as we want it to. Uh, but I think the other important thing, and this is kind of, a, I'll also speak to kind of the staff positions as well. Um, the objective with the, with both the leadership and staff, the other important thing is really helping them understand the big picture, right? How is their individual contribution really impacting the business? So we, particularly, this is something that was important to me in my uh, younger days as an individual contributor. And it's also very really important to me today in my role because everything that I am responsible for and my team is responsible for has to support the overall business, has to support our customers' experience, has to support the growth opportunities that we're exploring. So we can't really be in a silo. And if that is really the the model in which we are operating, then the question really becomes, how do we take that to the individuals on the team and really help them understand how they're um, individual contribution really impacts the big picture uh, and the business directly. So I believe in uh, uh, just creating that transparency with our team. So if somebody on my team came up with a great idea, we just you know bring them to the, to the uh, presentation and have them speak to it uh, with the leadership team. So give them the exposure to, to their contribution, give them the recognition to their contribution uh, and really empower them to do what is the what is of value to the organization without any, um, uh, you know, kind of hierarchy or bureaucracy in how that work gets done. So that's to me a very important aspect to help people understand um, that their ideas are welcome, that they are empowered to to, um, do more than what, you know, is on the job description, if you will. And that when they do that, that they're also recognized and acknowledged for their work and you know and we give them the the visibility that that they deserve and that's that's so critical right uh, your voice matters and you reinforce that the acknowledgement like you didn't go in the side room get this idea run with it to the business and say hey look what i came up with it's no let that person get out in front practice their communication skills express their ideals and let the teammates see that. So, yeah, I definitely love that. Absolutely, um, yeah. Uh, so it's interesting, though. So we talk about this um, big picture here. Um, so, so let's talk about this. I know we talked about this in our conversation previously a, m- a couple months ago about kind of having that viewpoint always on the business and, and the customers. So let's talk about this. Now, even even um, the next generation, next 10 years or so, all CIOs have to be locked in on this. But I don't think there's really been a, been a place where IT has not really been, let's go do something cool over here, completely separate from what the business does. So let's talk about this full integration with the business and what they do. Yeah, you know, uh, earlier in my career, when <clears throat> when I was uh, became a first to become a CIO, there was a lot of conversation about IT business alignment. Uh, and, and the very uh, point that, that you know, the conversation was about, hey, IT and business can be like two different entities. You know, we got to align ourselves in terms of what we do. And and I think those days are long gone uh, in the in the digital economy that we are in today. Technology is and should be uh, on the forefront of every business strategy, right? So it's no longer about IT business alignment. It's really more about 
uh, technology integration into the business uh, and technology enablement of the business and technology-enabled growth of the business <clears throat> because there's not anything that I am aware of in our environment that does not need some kind of a technology to run or operate or you know just do basic day-to-day -day stuff. Uh, so when that is the case, you know, as technology teams and as as a leader of the technology function, um, I am not going to be talking about technology per se. I don't care if the Gen AI is the latest buzz or blockchain is the latest buzz. My point of view has to be aligned to, well, as a technologist, I have to be aware of what's going on in the marketplace and <clears throat> what the emerging technologies are. So that's like one part of our my responsibility and my team's responsibility. But the other part of the responsibility is really to understand how does that fit or apply to our business? How can I leverage this technology and generate or create value within the business for, for our associates, for our customers? And for us to be able to do that, I have to have a very intimate understanding of our overall business process. Because I can't come up with an idea if I have no clue as to how things work or what, where there might be an opportunity. So I have to be really engaged with the business. And in many ways, I see the role of the CIO as really a, a business strategist that is highly competent in the technology. Uh, and and so that's the view I take, and, and um, it really has become a necessity, if, uh, in my view, uh, with today's CIOs. And, and I say CIOs, but honestly, every member of the IT team, because this goes back to my point. If, if you have to um, know what your uh, contribution and how it's going to affect the overall business, then again, you have to understand what is the business and, and how can you come up with ideas on your own uh, if you have no idea of what, what the business is or what the specific challenges or opportunities are. So we want to democratize the idea of uh, um, coming up with innovation and coming up with idea as a more natural state of being in the technology function as opposed to a carved out function that says, oh, here's the R&D or the innovation yeah. function and then the rest of it are like, okay, we, we don't have to innovate. We can, you know, kind of be, yeah. do things. So I, I don't believe in that idea. I feel like every individual in the technology space has to always wear uh, kind of that innovation, innovator's hat and, and in the context of the business, continue to innovate. Yeah, I love that. And uh, it's everybody, everybody's looking not only what the business does, but what the operations look like. What does the process look like? So if you want to come up with some new interesting tech that you just heard about, learned about, that in your mind, you start to think of different ways it might integrate into that, that business process. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I think the other important role is really to be able to decipher, you know, hype versus substance, right? Because who actually... The market and the press loves to hype uh, as new and, and emerging technologies come about. Right? I've seen this many, many times through the course of my years uh, in, in this space. And so, you know, whether it's, you know, Metaverse last year or blockchain the year prior, prior to or yeah. Gen AI, I mean, there's always a f flavor or two every year of, of what the new buzz is. But then 
there are some legitimate uh, promising technologies, and but in sometimes it's uh, it's it's new, but it's unproven, and and you know it may just be a hype, and and so. Yeah. Uh, we have to take the leadership role within the organization to help the help clarify that and, and have a point of view for the business, right? So to, to kind of use that as an example today, you know, uh, it is my role to help the organization have a position on how we leverage generative AI or not for that matter. Uh, and then it's not something that I would make a, call on or make a decision on, but I have to lead that effort and facilitate a dialogue and help educate the organization, the leadership team to say, what is Gen AI? How can it help? Here's kind of where my thoughts are. Is this something we want to explore? Is this something we don't want to explore? What is our position on this? So I have to initiate that dialogue and conversation within the organization to really uh, help bridge the gap between kind of the cutting edge uh, buzz and hype that we see in the headlines to, um, you know, what did, how do we uh, take that, at, you know, as it, as it applies to us and at face value and not necessarily, you know, the, the, you've heard the phrase FOMO, right? Fear of missing out. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. so we want to, uh, basically we want to address the FOMO effect, right? Because there are always parts of the organization yeah. where they feel like, oh my gosh, you know, we're falling behind, yeah. and, and yeah. you know, uh, as and when appropriate and where appropriate, we have to uh, make sure that nobody is responding to or pursuing something because of FOMO. Yeah, it's almost like you have to find out where the business people traveling to, what type of conferences <laughs> are they going to, what are they listening to? Can they come back on Monday morning? They've heard something. They seen something and you almost got to be ready. Like I'm here to help translate. And I like the words you used earlier. Yeah. Facilitate that conversation. Yeah. Right. So you don't, you can let them see a lot, but you want to help formulate, you know, kind of explore, provide insights, provide clarity. So I love that as your role at that, that what you're, yeah. what you're taking on there. Yeah. But, but another uh, aspect, and this is, you know, obviously much closer to you, uh, as well is, is security and and you know as enterprises and organizations uh, continue to digitize uh, almost 100 percent of their business operations and interactions uh, the the attack surface and the threat vectors also continually um, expand and so you are faced with with this dual challenge of on one hand you are trying to accelerate and uh, expand on the use of technologies. On another hand, you are in parallel expanding uh, your attack surface and threat vectors. So um, it is, uh, you know, earlier I said with with uh, almost every business being so reliant on technologies, but also the flip side of that is that there yes. we're also exposing ourselves to uh, uh, more uh, threats, digital threats. <clears throat> Yeah, it kind of points out the criticality of having sound principles and practices. So, you know, business have been uh, managing risk since the beginning of the time, right? Yeah. Uh, so it's like some companies who maybe have an immature risk management process where risk exception is kind of shaky. You know, somebody overrode something without really having true uh, due diligence there or looking at all the facts. 
can be problematic when you uh, insert a new emerging tech. Yeah. And you can be further behind than your competitors. So I've always encouraged everybody to make sure they have sound risk management process across the board. So you don't bring AI out and then somebody said, but we don't know where our assets are. Well, when you bought it, you're like, the business bought something. Correct. They should keep track of it, right? Yeah. An inventory of it. Exactly. So, so as you look at the end of the year, heading to 2024, if you have asset inventory you got a problem, define a specific process, plan, and initiative to address that now, right? Correct. To have visibility across your infrastructure. Uh, so it shouldn't be new things that all of a sudden generative AI is being held up because we're missing the, the principle. So let's talk about, can you talk about this embedded nature of the business and tech? Let's also talk about this embedded nature of managing cyber risk embedded across the board. Yeah, I might want to hear from you on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, you know, it, it definitely uh, is a challenge. In fact, I was uh, listening to a presentation yesterday uh, with some of the newer uh, enforcement that the SCC is trying to do with regards to, you know, the um, conviction, or I don't know if they convicted like this CISO of solar winds. Um, and uh, I think I saw there was, uh, this is not SCC, but there was some accountability on Uber's um, CISO. Uh, so, so certainly now, you know, security is starting to become uh, a main point of uh, stability and or health of companies. And um, and what I found interesting is that, you know, the Department of Defense and all the other alphabet soups um, themselves are getting exploited and hacked yet which without, without limited resources and all kinds of, yeah. you know, capabilities that they might have yet, um, they're also enforcing, you know, other organizations that may not have all of the resources that they do uh, for any events and breaches. So it's a, it's, a, it's a very interesting time in our lives where, you know, individuals are being held accountable uh, and it could be the CISO, it could be the CEO, it could be the board even. And uh, so, uh, absolutely, we have to look at enterprise security risk as an enterprise risk and not an IT problem or IT uh, responsibility and uh, really do our part in um, keeping the organization and the leadership informed of what our risks are. You know, one of the things that I have found <clears throat> even in, within my own teams and, and in my uh, experience is that uh, specific to security, you know, we like to talk about all the cool tech that we have. You know, we have, you know, sophisticated EDR, we have, you know, sophisticated real-time firewalls. So we, in what I see is we, we tend to speak about all the controls that we might have. Yeah more so than the effectiveness of those controls. Uh, and so I'm starting to uh, really help my team change that narrative on what we communicate. You know, I don't care if you're an EDR. I want to know if we have uh, 100% of our portfolio on EDR, you know, yes, yes, <laughs> uh, and yes. that the EDR is up to date on, on the version. Uh, so things like that. It's so... We have to shift from saying, oh, here are the eight or dozen different tools and technologies that we have to really uh, helping the organization 
be aware of what is the effectiveness of our risk man- cyber risk management and where are our gaps, as we know, and uh, where are the opportunities and what kind of a roadmap to help address that. Uh, it's also important to understand that, you know, sometimes we cannot uh, always put a control because of business reasons or business needs, yeah. that that is a risk that we are accepting, right, as a business, yeah. as a company. Uh, and that has to be not a decision made by one department or one team that has to be a CEO down uh, understanding of the risk and that we are saying, yeah, we, we have two options. We can either apply a control and impede the business or we have to accept yeah. the risk and uh, let the business you know, flow smoothly. So it's a, it's a decisions that we have to bring to the uh, highest level within the organization. Uh, and the key takeaway for me is that, you know, cybersecurity is not an IT problem. It is an enterprise risk and has to be everybody's responsibility. Yeah. And I like uh, what you said before about very well-funded uh, organizations like the Department of Defense still getting hacked. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then if you and then and then we talk about like developing safe code. And if we think about somebody like Microsoft. Right. Yeah. Who's spending billions and billions of dollars. And they shift to left, right? Because you probably heard this, right? Yeah. You got to shift left to be more secure. And But what, what do we do every month? Yeah. We take cycles to go patch Microsoft on new vulnerabilities from an organization spending billions of dollars that have already shifted left. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, right. So now I start to think about, okay, that's the true nature of risk management, right? Yeah. Even if you're thinking about, like, if you hire more police officers on the streets, would crime ever go away? No. We're only spending, the U.S. spends almost a quarter of its entire budget on defense. Doesn't mean you're going to stop wars, right? Exactly. So at some point, that perspective, we got to run business, we got to live. So this whole managing the risk, which business has been doing because before the beginning of the time is managing risk as you go out and do what you need to go do. So if that's serving up your customers, building revenue and sustaining the sale, I think that really, that perspective really helps out. Which goes back to how do you communicate to the business? So how well security working? You can say as well as that new marketing campaign you just did. Exactly. So going back to your point, how do you test that the marketing campaign works? How do you know the security program works? You have some way to test it. So my favorite uh, thing is uh, the website looks great. The email looks fantastic. The sales team have practiced it. And then somebody asked the question. By the way, that leading to new uh, revenue or new customers. So what do you mean? Exactly. That's the way you check it, right? Yeah. So for security, it means we have 100% coverage on assets that we bought. Yeah. So if we spin up a container and a VM or server, we can keep track of it. And then we can use the word adequate, but it's like based off what you've given us, what we say, uh, what our controls look like, we'll test it. And we'll take, tell our external stakeholders, get, get pretty decent security based off you know other, other uh, industries. We do pretty well. So I get, we get into trouble when we oversell what we're doing. Another $3 million. We're going to lock this down for those uh, adversaries. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. it's funny you mentioned marketing. Um, there's, a, there's a famous quote. I don't recall who actually said it. It says uh, <clears throat> something like, uh, I know 50% of my marketing budget works. I don't know which 50%. So yeah. Uh, yeah. 
uh, you know, we can't afford to say the same in, in security or technology, right? Well, I, you know, I spent $10 million. I don't know. I, I know 5 million of that work somewhere, but I don't know which 5 million, right? It's, it's, it's not something that we, we have the luxury <laughs> to, to say that. But I think, I think the key is really, uh, you said adequate. Uh, and, you know, that's a, that's a, that's a good word, but who determines what is adequate? Um, right. So it, it's even coming to consensus on that is something that most companies don't do. It's like the CIOs or whoever the heads, the security responsible for security might come up with some um, uh, aspects of how, what they want to do on, along, along security in terms of investments or, or, or choice of technologies. Either they're going to be driving that based on available budget or they're going to be driving that based on their own perception of what adequate is, which I believe is, is, is not, in my view, the right way to do it because that adequacy has to be, again, if, if it is an enterprise uh, problem, uh, that has to come from either I have to be able to articulate saying, here's our risk, cyber risk, and here's the dollars I need to fix it, or here's the dollars I have and yeah. and here's the risk that I can mitigate and here are the risks that we're continuing to be exposed. So if I don't have the conversation with the leadership in those terms, um, it becomes, you know, a, a funnel of tools or of, uh, a funnel of investment in tools that truly does not help uh, inform or educate the, the business in terms of what their true cyber risks are, what what are we vulnerable to or exposed to, and what are we actually managing on a daily basis? Well, one good thing is we know uh, most of the, the headline, the breaches in the headlines, follow some common patterns. A lot of times, it's the way companies are responding to it they are getting them into trouble. Yeah, right. They're either overselling it, underselling it. But the one thing you can't have is like bad process. Uh, so. User just well, left the company three weeks ago, but their credentials are still active. Well, we're going to say that's not adequate. And if you say that all a lot, people are going to stop nodding their heads like, yeah, that wasn't great. Yeah. Uh, we have, we have a SIM. It just doesn't have coverage over 100% of the assets. It just, it covers the on-prem 100%, but only 20% of the cloud presence. Exactly. Now, if you say that out loud, it's going to be like, that's not going to be adequate. Correct. Uh, we have a million alerts that come in every day. And we can't actually analyze it. Yeah. Okay. Can we get improved? So if you had that problem three years ago and we come back three years from now and you still have a million alerts that you can't look at, it's like you guys got better at some point. Correct. And I think in other industries and other, other areas of business, they do a very good job of improving their process over time. And it, it looks like it's solid. It was thought brought into it. It has some rigor to it. And when they look at it, it's like, say, that's a that's a good process, right? Correct. Yeah. I think in security we've fallen on saying this is an advanced adversary, and then saying, "Well, we didn't we didn't uh, scan this segment of the network. We didn't know about it. Well, why didn't you know about it? Yeah. And it was exposed for six months. Those type of stories when you read the the breach uh, write up is where it's like, ah, that doesn't look right. Correct. As opposed to you, you should know how it should sound, right? Yeah. Advanced adversary over a period of time got some data, but you told the business we have insurance. We have a, a instant response plan. We practice it. Board of directors gone through that practice. We're back up within our well-defined SLA 
we're still working and still business up and running. Yeah. We're resilient, right? Exactly. Yeah, there. yeah. There, there are a couple of things. Sorry to interrupt. I mean, a couple of things uh, you mentioned that I think uh, really resonates with me. One is just the idea that um, we you, you know, talked about all the headlines uh, and, and you talked about process. So how do we uh, learn from others' mistakes? There's nothing more... Uh, satisfying and, and fulfilling than learning from others' mistakes, if we have the opportunity to do that, right? And yeah. so you see all the headlines, you see all the outages, you see all the breaches, how many companies or how many technology departments actually review that and say, could that happen to us? Yeah. And, Good point. and what is it that we should be uh, thinking about or doing to prevent that from happening to us? And it comes back to process again. So even even bringing uh, other uh, breaches and other reports and having a conversation about it within our own teams and say, is, is this something that could happen to us? Is a great question to mitigate something that we know. Because in this space, you know, there's yes. a lot of unknown unknowns, I guess is, is the term yeah. that we yes. typically use. Yeah. Yeah. So the more we are able to uh, use cases is the term that comes to my mind. If the more use cases we are able to test and validate based on somebody else's uh, learnings, uh, to me that that is there's nothing more better than uh, you know taking advantage of that. Yeah, it goes back to the, the, the learning organization, right? Learning organization, learning team. Exactly. So if you're so if you're a CEO today, you should have practiced what it sounds like to go up to the podium and talk about a breach, right? Have you seen your fellow CEOs have to do it. Correct. So then you ask the question back to Harsha, do we have a, a complete inventory of everything the CFO spent money on? If you say no, can you fix it? So if we go back to the next board meeting, we'll say, Harsha, have we uh, closed that gap yet? Not yet. What's holding you up? Yeah. Now, if we go through another two budget cycles, then something's wrong, right? Exactly. So we should build a, on, the, on the basics, knowing what we have, how we do our prioritization, uh, and we learn from everybody else. We didn't automate some playbooks. This is what we're going to do. And then the certain thing we're just going to accept. Yeah. And then the chief legal is going to be comfortable with what we accept. IT is going to be uh, comfortable. The business can be comfortable. It's like, we feel good if something happens. We can go back to our stakeholders. We can post on the line to our customers. This is what we've done. This is what happened. We're going to keep doing business. We'll keep getting better. So no one has to do the blame game, right? Like, oh my God. IT had to write a nasty email that got subpoenaed that said, the business, they won't fix this. They won't give me money to go fix this tool or we need this tool. So it's like, let's bring it out in the open because we have a lot of case studies. You got organizations like the Senate for Internet Security. They've actually um, did a study of thousands and thousands of breaches over the years. What controls work the best in actual live attacks? Right. Uh, from cyber, nation state actors, from uh, hacktivists, you name it. They looked at their tactics, their techniques, their procedures, and it has these commonalities to it. So they put it based off like how much you need to invest in things like endpoint control, cloud security tools. And then, of course, you have a huge community who just share knowledge, right? Correct. So, so along your learning organization, maybe go through one budget cycle, two budget cycles, but the fundamentals should be in place there, right? We're, we're powering global economic activity on this planet, some of these basics should just 
um, just be taken care of, just a, a part of doing business. Exactly. Great point. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's just, there's so much resources available out there. Verizon uh, releases an annual report called the Verizon Data Breach Report DBIR or something. Um, and it's it's all the ones that, you know, we see the headlines of, but it's also the ones that actually don't make it to the headline. It's just, uh, there's so much learning and it's free. I mean, that, that report is a comprehensive yeah. report that they publish. It's a... Um, joint effort between all the government agencies, private agencies. Um, it's a fit for those, you know, those that haven't um, looked at it or seen it, you know, it's a great resource to go find. It's a free download. They release it every year and they talk about all the hundreds of cases um, that they've uh, investigated uh, globally. And you can kind of see s snippets uh, or nuggets of the patterns that are out there and how breaches happen uh, even if you are able to you know take care of one or two of those uh, situations you are already better off than you were before uh, so I guess the uh, that's one of the things the challenge for CIO right so they're keeping the lights on make sure all the systems run uh, we're trying to do new business innovation and we're trying to keep the bad guys out so it's a lot on your plate so as uh, my audience is listening to this harsh, uh, harsh all and thinking about, you know what, I may be in a, a specific area of my organization today, but one day I aspire to be a CIO. Any thoughts you can give to this person thinking about that career path, you know, different skill sets they can think about, you know, honing over the next couple of years to kind of get to that role. Anything you can share uh, would be very beneficial. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'll, I'll... Uh, I can share my experience and I can also share what I, uh, how I coach my team on this as well. Um, first and foremost, I think, you know, we started off with this comment. It's you got to continually, you have to be curious. And, and, and that means you are always asking the questions before you come up with an answer, right? Because historically, uh, you know, when, when technology teams respond to the business, um, we are typically responding to a, a request, right? Hey, we want, we want a new CRM or new, we want a new uh, reporting platform. So somebody is, in my view, that is somebody coming and tell, coming up with a solution for us to implement. So I would start with asking, can you help me define the problem? What are we trying to solve? So be curious all the time, ask questions, right? Uh, before we say, okay, let's go do an RFP for a reporting platform. Let's understand what are we trying to accomplish as a business? Um, and again, this I, I'm talking to you from a CIO perspective, but this is really one of those uh, characteristics, if you will, that kind of really helps you um, uh, you know, kind of grow in your career because you're continually asking questions. And I'd say questions not to, not in the sense of challenging somebody, but questions yeah. in terms of clarifying the need, right? Uh, and once you do that, then you bring your own expertise and your knowledge to say, Oh, I understand you're asking us to go, you know, look up a reporting solution, but uh, how about we take advantage of this newer technology that might be out there? So you're, you are now um, 
coming up with a solution based on a true understanding of a problem as opposed to a response to a, a request. You see what I'm saying? Uh, so I think to me, that's where one of the characteristics is be curious. The second uh, thing that I would say is that you have to continually expand your horizon of responsibilities. Uh, so when I started my career, you know, I was a developer. And then, you know, as I was working as a developer, I uh, started to uh, thread into, you know, databases. And I learned databases. At some point, I became pretty good in databases. And I, you know, moved into operating systems. I became uh, an OS engineer. And uh, then, you know, it started to get into more the total stack systems engineers. So you continually... Uh, expand to adjacent uh, functions or adjacent skills. And that way you're also broadening your own uh, sense of what what is the breadth of skills that you bring. And you don't have to be an expert in everything, but you have a right. reasonable understanding to um, uh, really have, you know, create an impact. You, you, you kind of broaden your horizon, broaden your perspective on how you approach certain things. And then last but not the least is really relationships. Uh, and I use that term in a, in a broad sense. I mean, relationships apply to teams. You work effectively with teams. You help out from teams. You learn from teams. Relationships uh, uh, come to play when you are uh, negotiating something with, with anybody, you know, whether it's you know, your own pay or whether it's your own um, uh, the, the work that you have to do or the prioritization of work that you have to do uh, or negotiating um just, uh, uh, you know, the competing demands uh, within the organization or negotiating a point of view. So I think the more stronger your relationships are, the easier those conversations tend to be. Because otherwise, you know, part of some of the things that I see or I've seen, conflict comes into play when, you know, people disagree, uh, mostly when they don't know each other as individuals, right? So if I, I, I always use the, the analogy um, with my team, like if your best buddy calls you something, you probably laugh about it and, and you move on. But if a stranger calls you that, your emotions are triggered. Um, and so the only difference there is the relationship that you have with your buddy and, uh, and the lack of relationship. With yeah. So you don't want to be a stranger within your own organization or your own team. The more you have that relationship, the easier it is to work through conflicts, navigate the, the challenges that you run into on a day-to-day -day basis. And, and by doing that, you also become somebody that people are willing to go to because they know you are able to you know, manage complex projects, you are able to get the job done, you're uh, able to lead the team. So by building relationships, you inherently kind of develop those skills where you can get more responsibility because people start to see that you're able to work through those impediments that come in most people's way. I think the uh, next 10 years are going to be very exciting for a lot of uh, IT professionals as they kind of move up the ranks, kind of expand the responsibilities, look at all the interesting new and emerging things to do. Uh, so you great insights from you, Abharsha. Really appreciate your time today. 
Uh, thanks for having me, William. It was great talking to you, and uh, hopefully your audience will uh, find something interesting here. All right. Really appreciate that. And we're signing off again for another episode of the Smart IT Podcast. If you want more information, go to williamreed.info. Until the next episode, take care. Thanks for joining another episode of the Smart IT Podcast, where we explore what's next for IT and disrupt the status quo, simplify the complex, and reduce risk together. If you like what you hear, please like, subscribe, and leave your comments. And for more Smart IT wisdom, check out my website at williamreed.info.